Hello and welcome to Heart to Hearth, a podcast where we chat about Irish vernacular buildings, past, present and future, with the people who love them and look after them. I'm Trina and I'm a committee member and trustee of the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings in Ireland, or SPAB as it's also known. This is episode nine of our second series, where I chat to different people working in the area of vernacular buildings and traditional skills in Ireland, as well as those who are passionate about conserving them. In this episode, I chat to Shirley Clerken, who is the Heritage Officer for County Monaghan. We spoke about what her role as a Heritage Officer involves, the beautiful built and natural landscape of Monaghan, and Shirley had some great thoughts about how we might tackle the unnecessary demolition of our built heritage. I hope you enjoy. So, hello Shirley, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. I'm delighted to be speaking to you this evening. So for people who don't know you, you're the Heritage Officer in Monaghan County Council. That includes kind of all aspects of heritage from built heritage to cultural heritage and natural heritage. So I'd say that's a fascinating job. It sounds so interesting, it's so much involved in that. And I know also that Monaghan is one of those counties that doesn't have a conservation officer, is that right? So you're probably doing a bit of a bit of all that sort of thing as well. So why don't you start off by maybe telling us a bit about yourself in your own words and kind of describing how you got to, to be in this position? Okay, um, Trina, thanks very much for having me on Spab's podcast. Um, well, I'm in this job in Monaghan now 18 years. And um, before that, I worked for Antashka and the Irish Wildlife Trust. So I'm coming very much from a natural heritage perspective, actually, and because my primary degree is in environmental sciences. But growing up, we live on the border here in County Monaghan, but growing up, we always went north to all the National Trust properties when we were growing up because we had a family membership. Uh, because there were so many children in our house and uh, it was the cheapest thing to do on <laughs> a Sunday. <laughs> and and my, my, my parents had a great interest in just sort of, you know, discovering Ireland. And we were lucky, I suppose, that those places were in our hinterland. So we generally went to a lot of the estates up north and we went to little mills and things like that, beetling mills. And I think we went to a few cottages as well that were in the National Trust kind of ownership. So I suppose from early on, I had an interest in all things heritage. Um, and then sort of built on that ever since. So um, as you I rightly said, the heritage job involves natural built and cultural. So it's all things tangible and intangible, you know, traditional skills and all of that's a very important part of it. And we try to weave all those things together. So for example, if we're looking at a vernacular building or traditional building, you might also be looking at to see what kind of cultivars there are in the garden you know, what all kind of plant species there are there. And you might be looking at the old orchard or, um, you know, whether or not there's a haggard, you know, those kind of little features. And I'd be looking at the gates as well because I'm interested in, you know, the, the old iron features. And likewise, then, if I'm at a, a natural site, I'm then looking to see if there's an archaeological feature there. So you're always kind of trying to blend everything together because I think people respond better when the whole of our culture, because obviously there's nowhere in Ireland that's untouched um by humans really um you'd have to go to the peak of some pretty high mountain i think and even then we've been there so there's no natural habitats left in ireland it's all semi-natural and likewise our cultural expression in our landscapes and our buildings it's a very important part of what we try to do as heritage officers anyway try to you know protect and conserve those places 
Mm, okay, brilliant. No, it really makes sense when you talk about it there that the role encompasses those kind of three strands of heritage because they are also interlinked. As you say, that it is a real kind of intangible um, thing when we talk about vernacular buildings, even as you say, what's in the garden, what's the habitat around it, but also the fact that the vernacular buildings came from the landscape around them. It was clay from the ground that was dug to build the walls, stone from the local area, thatch from the local area. Um, so is it right? Are you from Monaghan yourself then originally you mentioned? I am. I am yeah. from Monaghan. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, because it's, I have to say, I it must be one of Ireland's best kept secrets as a place. <laughs> um, I was just up in Monaghan last week for a project that we were actually both working on. Um, in a beautiful part of very north of Monaghan but I've only been up there a handful of times and I was just particularly this time of year now it's November when we're recording this and all the trees were just you know the absolutely beautiful colours leaves were falling and it's all the drumlins and I was just driving oh, through it going yeah it's just so nice and I feel like it people don't talk about it enough but maybe you're just keeping it uh keeping it a secret so <laughs> no, but I think I think you're right I think the winter light you know in Ireland particularly if you have a kind of a, a an undulating or a hilly topography it really lends itself to showing shadows and showing things you don't normally see in the summer when the light is very harsh so you know I think this time of year is particularly nice up here and then the wetlands you see turn that lovely golden shade as well so yeah the yeah wetlands here and there of course in the hollows um, so all those lovely colours and, you know, thinking even about what you just said there about vernacular buildings, you know, they're very much of the land, aren't they? They're very much mm. and, and they fade back into the land as well so quickly if we don't keep, try to keep some of them. Exactly. Um, yeah. They're almost ephemeral over a long period of time, aren't they? Mm, no, definitely. That's right. And so in your job then as the heritage officer, what sort of involvement would you have then with um, vernacular buildings of Monaghan because I, I actually noticed as well when I was driving around last week I really noticed a huge amount of derelict farm buildings and and vernacular houses around the place and I know it's the same in lots of different countries but maybe I was just I was kind of particularly looking around the place as I was driving through because I was unfamiliar with the area and it really did stand out so I guess that's kind of a couple of thing questions or issues you could touch on there but just back to what I was saying originally do you have then much kind of involvement with homeowners and do you kind of take up that grant giving role, say that conservation officers might be more involved in, in other counties? Right. Well, for, for suppose starting at the start, what do we know about vernacular buildings in Monaghan? Um, that would be the first thing that I would sort of look at for any kind of heritage kind of issue. So we have done a survey in 2015 of traditional vernacular buildings in the county, in rural county Monaghan. And you know, the results from that survey were really worrying. And you've noticed that in real terms as you've driven around last week, which is that most of our vernacular buildings, you know, from the point of view of farmhouses, cottages, you know, in the in the rural areas, not maybe so much in villages or towns, although there's a lot of vacancy and dereliction there as well, that in the rural areas, they're mostly in poor condition or derelict condition. There's very few good examples where they have been um, maybe um, restored or reused, except in situations where they've been in continuous use in a family as a farmhouse, for example. So that's one of the things that our survey really um, threw up at us a few years ago. And um, we haven't been really able to do that much about that, except to try to put positive policies in our development plan, you know, which 
there's a policy in there which says, you know, we, you know, to keep vernacular buildings, but there's a gap in that policy as well, in that, you know, better reports need to be requested in the future about why we are letting buildings go when they come in for demolition often and replacement with a new dwelling. You know, that there's the grounds for um, the removal of those buildings um, could be better, I would say. You know, we could be putting in place requirements for a different type of a survey, a different type of a conservation survey, rather than someone with no experience of historic buildings, for example, looking at them. And that comes right back around then to the issue that Monaghan is one of the counties that doesn't have a conservation officer. So, you know, there's me, heritage officer, um, who's, you know, doing all of those, that big range of things that we talked about. And we don't have a conservation officer in the county. Now we do have planners, obviously. We've no architects either. Um, and we've planners who are charged with um, the administration of the Historic Structures Fund or the, the Built Heritage Investment Scheme, for example. And I know there's a new line in there for vernacular buildings. But even when I was looking after that scheme up until a number of years ago, we very rarely had anybody come in with a vernacular building, whether it be you know, a house or um, a mill building, for example. There's a lot of mill buildings in Monaghan with like 180 sites, I think, of mills. And we've got 300 mill buildings. So, you know, most of those are vernacular as well, you know. Um, so there's a huge stock of buildings there. And you can easily see just in the, just a few points I've made there, how all of these little incidences, which all seem quite simple on their own, add up to quite a difficult problem that needs addressing from a few different perspectives. Yeah, and it's, there are definitely issues that I'm sure other counties face as well. But as you say, that survey then that you did in 2015, to actually have it, you've kind of quantified. And as you say, it must be kind of scary to have those it's figures. It's such a sad survey to read. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, look, at yeah. least you are conserving. Or sorry, you're yeah. recording. Yeah, recording well, what I is mean, there now as well. But but I mean, you should see these buildings. I mean, in the insides, the, the, the features that they have Trina like in in Monaghan we have a lot of buildings with jam walls in them so when you would come in the porch into the building there's a, a, a kind of a wooden partition to stop the wind so, so to jam you a jam wall basically to protect you if you're sitting at the heart from the draft coming in the door you know it's a windy county Monaghan yeah, yeah. With, a, with little spy windows you know immediately there so you can look out to see who's coming for the Cayley in the door you know, and these little spy windows, they're all sorts of shapes and everything, you know, there was a little bit of a flourish. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid sitting in many a, inside many a jam wall, looking out the little spy window at people coming in, you know, my great uncle's houses or great auntie's houses or whatever, you know. And just these little features and the big hearths and everything. Are there any other features then that you can think of off the top of your head like that are unique to Monaghan um, in terms of vernacular, like or maybe not unique, but I don't know, like are there many thatch buildings in Monaghan, for example, or is it more slate roofs or? Yeah, it... no, there's very few thatch left here, you know, mm. there's um, there's a few thatched roofs we found kind of underneath corrugated iron when we were doing the survey mm. and um, we found some unusual sort of buildings made from mud in Rock Hurry. So around there, there seemed to be a lot of mud, mud walled buildings. Um, there wasn't so much stone available there. And I suppose 
the tree felling that's happened in Ireland over the last you know, centuries resulted in maybe not a lot of trees either to support, <laughs> even to put in, you know, wooden buildings, for example. So there, there are mud buildings. And in some instances, they had sod gables as well. So hmm. just really unusual. Yeah. So they ran out of mud and they started using sods, you know. Yeah. Very, yeah. You know, resourceful, but obviously very poor people, you know. Hmm. Um. Well, I think that we've had, a, we've discovered a few wattle and daub kind of, you know, um, not screens, but above the chimney. Sort yes, of. chimney hood kind of. The chimney hood. Yeah. And, and then the big hearth, of course, with the, the crane features and all of the stuff that's made by the local blacksmith. But yeah. I think the, the jam wall and the, 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 the direct entry houses. So we've quite a lot of direct entry with no porches. And then mm. we have the ones with the little porches and then the little jam walls. So. It seemed to be you can track the development of the long cottages in Monaghan quite well, both sort of from the little houses that were just a buyer dwelling so that you tied your, your, your cow up at one end and you had the little gutter for the waste and then you were at the other side of the building. Mm. So it's kind of an evolution from that to then the buyer being attached to then having a half loft maybe above for the children to sleep in and then getting another room on the other side of your chimney. You know, so you can kind of see the evolution in a lot of our buildings, which is really nice. And then maybe a story added then. So um, often then you'd have this little hall at the front then that would be sort of cordoned off with kind of wooden panelling. Um, sort of to give, you know, a, a real fashionable bit of a hall. But it's just yeah. an extension of the jam wall, basically. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then the stairs with the, with, the, with the door at the bottom. So, you know, you might have one step and then you'd have the stair door. Oh, right. So okay. the stores, the, their stairs are completely encased. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where I learned to tie my laces, actually. Really? At the bottom of one of those steps. Yeah. Somebody yeah. got tired tying my shoelaces and made me sit there until yeah. I learned. <laughs> it's, it's a good, it's almost like making the stairs and another room then if it has a door at the bottom of yes. it. That, yeah. Put the kids in there. They can play on the stairs. Brilliant. <laughs> and Shirley, you mentioned earlier um, ironwork and, and traditional ironwork. Is there a lot of that? then around Monaghan oh, or a lot of oh yeah we've beautiful I mean there's been we, we did do a survey of the of some iron working forges in the south part of the county a few years ago and we looked at gates in particular and the designs of all the gates and um some really beautiful examples you know with flat bar gates and then you can tell which little blacksmith made them based on the little twirls at the top of the flat bars or the little way they've done the I'm going to say gusset gusset of the gates you know the little bit that that is sort of helps give it stability along the bar that where it joins the wall. Or yes, the pillar. yeah, yeah. Um, so some beautiful gates. And I always, you know, we did a campaign in the Mart. After we did that survey, we did a campaign in the Mart, on Mart television, um, to, to alert the farmers not to throw out their gates and, um, and to keep them and to, to do some work to them. And that actually worked quite well, because after that, I mm. noticed quite a lot of gates being rehung and uh, linseed oil on them and Put back into farmyards because they were removing them to make the entrances bigger obviously for the larger tractors um so i think between all of those things we have a lot of beautiful but ignored <laughs> traditional buildings in the county you know i mean there are some examples of nice ones that have been restored but they're few and far between mm. well that sounds brilliant though what you're doing like that idea of contacting kind of farmers directly through the mart like that it's genius because it's generally farmers who are owning and often living in vernacular buildings and vernacular farmsteads so yeah that's such a good idea and maybe something that 
needs to be kind of looked at more so because I know there was the Gloss um, grant yes. scheme. It's a very good scheme, but it's not for the farmhouses themselves. It's for it's 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 for all the ancillary buildings and it's super yes. for them, you know, yeah, for the buyers yeah. and the stables and the yards and um, all of that. Mm. But unfortunately, the buildings themselves were exempt under that. And I thought that was a pity. Yeah, um, so it really does seem like there's such a gap there for more grant funding for vernacular building owners, but also just awareness raising. And as you say, trying to kind of contact people who mightn't just have thought about it in that way. You know, a lot of the time people just kind of take things for granted or kind of think, you know, there's an Asher, there's no, there's no interest in that old thing. Whereas actually there's definitely a growing interest in all yeah. things heritage, I think. And yeah, people are really kind of realizing. inspiration. Like, I mean, there is, I mean, some architects have taken modern inspiration from vernacular buildings, not that many, but you do see it. Which which demonstrates that the that the original must be worth something, if it's been used as inspiration. Um, but it's a pity that there aren't more, you know, re re really good case studies of reused examples available to any for anybody to look at. You know, usually if you search vernacular building good example, you'll come up with the May Ross Homestead in Wexford. I think yes, it's May Glass. May yeah. Glass, sorry, mm. which is one you know really beautiful thatched building. You know, but for, to get more examples for people, you know, to sort of show good case studies like we're, we've just done a type script for a book for next year to publish a book on traditional buildings in County Monaghan, traditional rural buildings in County Monaghan, oh, brilliant. where we've interviewed two families who live in vernacular buildings and how they find it and why they chose to live there. And is it comfortable for family and all of that, just to try to um, bring it home, I suppose, <laughs> using that word. To people that they are livable in you know i think it's the, the possibly the scale things have become so big now buildings have become so mm. large that maybe we feel that we can't get into a nice cozy space anymore that you know i don't know we don't fit in there anymore <laughs> yeah no i know what you mean but that that sounds brilliant now that book um that's definitely one that i know people listening i'm sure will be interested in keeping an eye out for but i think as well that issue you say about not having kind of good case studies again that's not just in Monaghan unfortunately I think we've kind of we've come across that even with the SVAB we've been you know kind of asking for trying to if people know of good case studies to make us aware of them and we can try and share them even as well like that just all to try and kind of raise awareness and, and show what, what can be done because there is some beautiful work being done but it just doesn't seem it's not enough and it's very hard to then even find it if you're not kind of aware exactly. you know or if you don't know the person or if you don't know a building there's a, there's a lot of publicity then maybe around buildings on television and things with maybe the wrong thing are being done to buildings mm, yes and you that's see issue. going into them and things and you're scratching your head going really yeah <laughs> we're going to do with these buildings yeah no definitely yeah um and there was actually it's funny you mentioned that now with tv there was one thing i, I saw recently i can't remember what the tv show was one of one of the rte ones i'm sure but it was the town drum in monaghan and oh yeah that lovely right. old shop front anderson's i think it was yeah. i know a family had bought that and we're doing lots of work to yeah. it but they seem to be doing great work and i i loved that i oh, love seeing a lovely that building that's a really beautiful building that's uh, and drum is a really beautiful village and it's literally on the drumland so it go you up uphill and back down again and anderson's is pretty much at the top of the ridge so it has a one story from the main street of drum and two stories at the back with outbuildings and stables and it's the most beautiful place and originally it was um a pub grocer um so the andersons and sons i think it was pub grocer with like a really quite a large pub and a shop 
and stables underneath for keeping horses. And um, I think maybe it could have been a coach house at one stage, you know, up and down the drumlands to keep your horses overnight or switch your horses. And then a two story residence to one side. So it was really quite a substantial vernacular mm. again, you know, building. And um, there was a fantastic, I mean, it has a tremendous story because there was an artist who was staying in the Anna McCarrig, uh, the Trone Guthrie Centre in Monaghan in the 1990s. And he had, he went to Drum to have a drink in this quite dour pub that only sold bottles of stout, no cold beers, no spirits or anything in Anderson's. And he got his warm bottle of stout. But the people that were in there were so picturesque in a kind of a, I suppose he was feeling quite sad himself, this artist at this particular time, that he felt he could, he he felt he felt what they were feeling. He took loads of photographs of them and made this amazingly fantastic photo book called Drum, which was uh, which which knocked the socks off everybody doing photograph books at the time and became really famous in the photography world. But of course, mm. nobody in Drum ever saw the book. <laughs> so a few years ago, we brought back um, Class Clement, the artist and the, the, the gallery of photography in Dublin, and we showed the exhibition in Anderson's pub. We spent days cleaning it out um, because it was for sale at the time. And we showed it on the wall of the pub where the photographs were taken. And oh, some of these people had died since. And it was we did it at night time. And I, I cannot explain what an amazing experience it was. It was like it was like the building itself was speaking. And the people in the building previously had suddenly become alive again and were sitting right back in the same place they'd been sitting. And I think that shows the importance of the continuity of of buildings in a place, you know, that that a building in a place is more than just what it's made of and the materials. You know, we were talking at the beginning about that intangible thing, that intangible longevity of something in a place that your family have been in and some other family have been before that and backwards and backwards in time, all raised in the same place and building their stories and being rooted in that community. And I think that's really what I feel is really important about keep another thing that's really important about keeping buildings is that they give you that within a, in a place. So you're already rooted when you come into a secondhand building. You're already in, you're already in, in, you know, you're not just sort of planted in there. You've already got a foothold, you know what I mean? So they've, yeah. they've been doing great work in that building, that the couple that bought that, yeah. Yeah, wow, well, that sounds like an amazing mm -hmm. exhibition. God, I can imagine then, yeah, for you seeing that, it must have been really amazing. kind of satisfying. Yeah, and, and the artist himself, he couldn't believe that he was back. He just couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. yeah. Shirley, I was having a little search online earlier on, um, actually, particularly about Monaghan vernacular, because <laughs> I was just ahead of this talk doing my research. And I came across a document, I think it's, I think it's part of the Monaghan Design Guide. I think it's back from 2008 or something, but it's um it's actually a really good document. I think it's kind of aimed at people who are either building houses. Um, what I'm not sure if you had any kind of involvement in that, but it basically it goes through different um, it goes through kind of character context, the rural landscape, then the different building typologies around Monaghan and different settlement patterns. And it, it also then has a section on the potential of reusing existing buildings, but it's actually a really good document it kind of was nearly selling vernacular buildings and you know traditional buildings and seemed to be kind of aimed at encouraging people to think about them um, and think about reusing them for buildings rather than building these brand new massive 
haciendas, you know. Um, so I thought that was a really, really interesting document. Were you involved with that at all? Or do you know which one I'm talking about? I do know the document you're talking about. That was a, that's, that's a lovely document. Mm. Now, I'm going to plead ignorance here and say, I'm not sure if that was adopted by the full council or not. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Yeah. So, um, but that is a really, really good document. Yeah, there's it a is. lot of consultation done with that document. It was done with the planning section. And yeah. they, they spent a lot of time thinking about that and um, and trying to promote, you know, mm. good rural design guidelines. Exactly. Um, yeah. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's nice because there's lots of different images of different buildings around. So just, yeah, it's it's great to kind of see that sort of promotion, you know, and encouraging yeah. homeowners, because I guess, yeah, maybe it just never really went out. I don't know. I just came across it on a random Google search earlier. But yeah, it's that idea of trying to kind of get it across to people, as you mentioned as well, that these buildings can make beautiful houses. And, you know, maybe there is a, a modern extension needs to be built on yeah. to come to suit kind of a family's needs or whatever it is. But it is in itself, there's th these homes are full of character and history and they have everything you need for a lovely, cozy home. And yeah, I don't know, because maybe I'm so obsessed with vernacular buildings I love the idea of the kind of you know small cozy light in a fire and rather than the kind of you know shiny huge open plan spaces um but I, I know that's completely personal and it's not for everyone but yeah it's just it's great to see that sort but there of... are more people like you Trina out there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's the point isn't it I mean I think in this time of year as well you know to have that place to go to to retreat so have your modern extension with all of the shiny stuff in it at the back or the rear of your traditional building but have your cozy warm sitting room to retreat into in the winter months when light is dimmed and you know you can kind of get into that little space yeah um in yeah. the dark evenings yeah yeah no it's so true it's to my mind that's kind of the loveliest thing you know that's your utopia is it? Yeah. I'd say a lot of people listening as well would be similar I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast you're very interested, interested in vernacular buildings so yeah yeah sure lots yeah. of people share that view um but no that's that's it's brilliant really just chatting to you it sounds like your job yeah just covers such a huge variety um, of I'd say you just kind of get to travel all over and, and do so much because you're working across those three very broad and diverse strands but also the thing you mentioned about um, at the Mart for example and um, I know that you had done podca a podcast yourself in, in the past and you've also been involved in producing videos of different conservation work and stuff that's happening across the county is that kind of outreach work that you do as, as part of your your job as a heritage officer do, do, do you enjoy that part of it like is that something that you find rewarding that kind of um talking to the people of Monaghan and sharing that passion with them oh yeah I love I love doing that part of it but I think you know um yeah because I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd I think I'm getting you know sort of nerdier the older I'm getting you know to mean I'm interested in everything you know so um and I like to tell people all the things I'm interested in and um but I love having engagements with people because, you know, people, everybody knows more than you do. In fact, it's as simple as that. You know what I mean? Particularly when you go to somebody's building or um, somebody's farm or wherever, they're going to know a load more than you because it's their place and they're going to know loads of stuff. You might know some stuff too, but, you know, that local aspect is always really interesting. And then to shoot the breeze and to hash something out is always really good as well. You know what I mean? And people generally appreciate it when you're genuinely interested in their 
in their building or their archaeology or their wetlands or whatever um, for the most part because people in Ireland do actually care about their place they might be very busy and might be doing loads of other things but there are a lot of people who do care um, and we've done quite a lot here we have a podcast series <laughs> plug it here heritage at the heart <laughs> and um so we've recorded an, ish, an episode recently, which will be out soon, uh, with an owner of a, of a traditional building. Um, Brilliant. So we do that and we do, you know, those little videos on the Mart TV. And I'm going to say now that I'm talking to you, I think we, sh- we should all do videos in the Mart about traditional vernacular buildings and mm. their values. I mean, it's fair enough doing one about gates, but actually what about the buildings themselves, I'm thinking now? Yeah. Um, because we're doing, we're doing a hedgerow ones in the Mart at the moment. So, you know, we should do, yeah, traditional buildings. Mm. Yeah, so we do, we do a lot of outreach, in fact, but we, you could never do enough outreach because the audience is coming up the whole time. You know, you think, oh, sure, I did that five years ago or I did that 10 years ago, but that's not good enough to really say that, even though yeah. you kind of need to repeat yourself sometimes mm, just to definitely. get the message out there. It's a bit like you mentioning those guidelines from 2008. You've struck a chord with me there and I'm thinking I must investigate where those are tomorrow and, you know, root them out and make sure that they're on our website and things like that, you know. Mm. Yeah, no, that sounds great about the, the even the other things that are, are being um, shown at the, the Mark TV or whatever about hedge laying you're saying. That's that's something I came across recently. I'd like you, I find I'm getting more and more nerdy and interested yeah. in really niche <laughs> things. And it's just, yeah, the more you find out about things you don't know about. And the more you, you go, wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, speaking of other podcasts, there's a great farming podcast. I don't know if you listen to it called Out the Gap. And what's it called? It's called Out the Gap. Oh, what's a great and name. Yeah, it's a guy from Tipperary. And um, yeah, he's a really interesting podcast, but he, he records them out and about, literally in the field. And he had one at a hedge laying workshop recently, which I thought was so interesting because I just didn't Brilliant. know anything about it. And like that he was at a workshop talking to different people who were there and it reminded me of some events we do with Svab Ireland you know or events I've gone to like things like Drystone Walling events where you might get people from just a completely diverse backgrounds and they're all just there and they kind of want to just learn something new or they're interested or you get people who you know want to do some hedge laying on their land or whatever it is but it was just such a a lovely podcast to listen to so yeah there's another one for for you now and for listeners um (laughs) Another I think I will listen podcast. to that. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> but coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning, there is, it's just such a, a crossover really, isn't it? With all things heritage, both built, natural and cultural and intangible. But it's, it's yeah, that's why I think your job is just, sounds absolutely brilliant to have all of that kind of wrapped up in one and then to have that engagement element of it as well, that you're out and about chatting to people and traveling around the county. So yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you feel. Yeah, it's great, it's great. <laughs> I'm trying to remember all those good things because, you know, November is, is grant and recoupment funding hell for yeah. heritage officers all around the country. Yeah, well, there you go. Now yeah. I'm kind of. With the good comes the bad always, you know. Yeah, yeah. The yin I, and the yang. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, isn't it the same with every job that there's always is, parts of, of jobs that, yeah, are, are far from ideal. But anyway. <laughs> So we have two questions that we're asking all podcast guests, and I'd be interested to get interested to get your thoughts on them, particularly in your role as the heritage officer. So if there was any one thing that could be done to try and improve the situation for our vernacular built heritage in Ireland, 
do you have thoughts on what that one thing could be? Yeah, well, I think we should incentivize reusing traditional buildings. Plus, I have to say, I think we need to have proper guidance in there for local authorities on traditional buildings and how to protect them as part of the planning process, you know, so that they're not just considered replacement dwellings. And I think that would help a lot, actually. Mm, um, yeah. That would be one thing I would do. I would put some money in its direction. Yeah. And do you mean with that kind of, when you were saying the first point of it, kind of incentivizing, would you give grants like that to homeowners more so? Or are you kind of talking about maybe more and um, changing planning legislation more so that people can't, they're not allowed to kind of demolish buildings and replace them with, with new buildings? Yeah, I think I'd do both. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so give grants uh, to homeowners yeah, who are looking at adapting at a building, maybe. Yeah, I think that the, um, at the, I think, you know, with climate change and everything, I'm kind of in favour of that policy where there's just no demol- no demolition. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much in favour of that because no matter what building you have, it's got embodied energy, body, embodied materials and all of that. And I don't think we should be demolishing anything. I think yeah. we should be, be smart enough at this stage with all of our academic training and technical training to be able to reuse anything. In fact, any building anywhere, particularly our vernacular buildings, which are built with good local materials and which have such an important character and cultural value to them. So that would be the first thing. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, that, as you say, embodied carbon and we don't kind of people are beginning to talk about it a lot more, but not kind of maybe not enough. But yeah, it's uh, I hadn't kind of come across that as a as a kind of policy thing. Principle. Yeah. yeah, So if you you use that as a principle, then it changes your outlook entirely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have to be more creative and look at what you can do with existing buildings and yeah it is kind of nearly lazy option in a way just to say right now actually I just want to start from a clean yeah, slate because constraints always make us more creative mm, so you know yeah, yeah. no really Best really time. good answer <laughs> 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 good stuff cool and then our very last question then that we're asking everyone is do you have a favorite vernacular building that you can think of and why okay well I have lots of favorite vernacular buildings but I'm going to say this particular building that's quite near me here, and it's um, it's a, a two-story farmhouse, and the it's not a famous building. It's you know it's a traditional vernacular two-story farmhouse with a direct entry, so there's no porch on it, and an artist couple bought it maybe 15 years ago from the farmer, and proceeded to do it themselves to do all the work themselves and beautifully lime washed and everything on the exterior a beautiful cottage garden to the front of the little pedestrian gate right down to the front door and um lovely sash windows throughout and the stairs like that encased you know stairs right up to kind of the the type of in monaghan they used to have kind of when you go up the stairs there'd be a sort of an open area in the middle and then bedrooms either side kind of things so was kind of middle area which is kind of vacant kind of one for a better word or but um, so it's that kind of a Monaghan upstairs in it that I'd be very familiar with from, from my childhood. So, um, so that would be my favourite um, traditional vernacular building in Monaghan. And since then, more recently, they put an extension at the back by really just knocking down an old lean-to and um, really not making any changes to the old building at all. So very sensitively done and really beautiful place to live. 
Mm. Well, there you go. There's a good case study then yeah. for your uh, my, one of my two, one of the case studies. <laughs> yeah, you start gathering them. Yeah, but that's brilliant. And yeah, that kind of intangible quality then in that building is the fact that, as you say, that a couple the homeowners have done loads of the work themselves and probably done it slowly throughout the years and done things in the traditional way. So that really adds so much to it as well. So that's that sounds really lovely. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really nice, and it's so sensitively. It's just sitting sensitively in the landscape just right just where it should be it's just mm. just right you know what I mean it's like porridge <laughs> not too hot not too cold it's just right <laughs> brilliant well thank you so much Shirley for all that now that was really really interesting and I'm sure loads of people would love your job now from the sounds of it all that lovely <laughs> stuff you get to do but you're you've very kindly given us your email address to share with people in case anyone has any questions maybe or is more interested in any of the things you mentioned or finding out more about Monaghan's heritage so the email address of the heritage office is heritage at monaghancoco.ie and we can put that in the show notes of the podcast as well if anyone's looking for it so once again thanks a million for joining me Shirley that was a pleasure to have a chat um and yeah best of luck with all your exciting upcoming ventures thanks so much Trina <laughs> thanks a million for having me on no worries thanks bye bye that's it for this week I hope you enjoyed this chat with Shirley next week I'll be chatting to three of the SPAB scholars and fellows for 2022 about their experience and their vernacular highlights of the year if you'd like to find out more about SPAB Ireland's work you can find us on social media at SPAB Ireland on Instagram Facebook and Twitter or check out our website which we'll post in the show notes Many thanks to the Heritage Council, as ever, for sponsoring this podcast as part of their Heritage Capacity Fund 2022. And big thanks to our editor, Deirdre Keeley, and the rest of the team at SPAB Ireland and SPAB HQ. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to tell your friends. Goody on Kay Dorella, Slán. <laughs>